We are in our series going through the Old Testament and uh, the scriptures looking at this survey, and we have come to the book, The Song of Solomon. When I, when I told our staff that we were going to go through the Bible like this, I said, you know, I just feel like, you know, if, if you were here for our very first Wednesday morning Bible study, um, we went to actually where Jesus uh, was on the road to Emmaus, and he was, if you can remember back that far, that was back in like February, January or February, um, and uh, I mean... I, Jesus wasn't walking the road to Emmaus in January. What I'm saying is our Bible study time. Let's see. Man, it's, uh, it's great. School's, school's early, guys. I'm telling you, I've been, been exhausted. Uh, but as we, uh, as we talked about it, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking with these disciples, these, these followers and, of him, and they were, he was explaining to them the scriptures. And so what he did was he went through the Old Testament and explained that Jesus was who he said he was, and Jesus was the Messiah. And so he gave a survey on their walk. I love the idea of a survey on a walk. I love that idea. Uh, I, I like to walk. I like to get out and move. I like to do that. I like to count my steps and all that. Um, and so as, I, as you're on a walk and you're talking, especially if you're walking with somebody and you're talking about stuff, it helps, the, it helps you not realize that you're, you're burning up, right? Or it helps you not realize that your, your legs are on fire. It helps you not to realize that your, your shoes are uncomfortable. It just makes it easier. So as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, he gives this explanation. He just talks about the scripture. And I could just, I wish I was there to hear it because like him opening, opening it up in his mind has had to be beautiful and amazing. And so because of that, I've always found it very important to understand the full context of things, right? So those, uh, those people that were walking on the road to Emmaus didn't understand the full context. They said, this is the worst thing ever, worst week of our lives, you know, Jesus had a parade, then Jesus died, and our hero is now gone, right? And Jesus is just talking to him. He doesn't even say, I'm here, guys. He's just talking to him. He's just helping them see the scripture for what they are. So, so as, as we started that, we began then in the book of Genesis, and we, we began looking through. Uh, now, it took me about two or three books in to realize that we were going to have to go through the Song of Solomon. And I thought, okay, do I skip it? And it's like, no, I don't skip it. Um, and then, uh, so Charles has been kind of bugging me over the last couple of weeks. He's like, it's coming, man. Song of Solomon's coming. Get ready. It's coming. Um, and so this is, um, this is a tough one for me because of, uh, there's different understandings of the characters in this, in this book. So uh, we, we know that if you, and if you were here last week, we read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes felt really depressing, right? So you go from really depressing, you turn the page, and then it's really not depressing. <laughs> it's, it's very fun. Like this next book is like exciting, right? It's almost like if you were um, uh, coming out of, the, out of the bondage in Egypt and you've now gone into the promised land. That's, that's that page turn right there. It's like slavery, terrible oppression, awful, bad, promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> this is beautiful. I love the Song of Solomon. Um, but one of the things to note about this is uh, there's a couple of different, um, and, and, here's, and there's commentaries, there's, there's theologians that will disagree and differ on their opinions of what this book is, is really trying to explain and show to us. Now, I land in a certain place, and I, I, the, I land there for very specific reasons. I believe convictions in my heart, and I think that, um, you know, we all, everybody thinks you're right, right? Everybody thinks you're right of what you believe, especially if you put any time or effort into it. I'm not saying that I am 100% right. I think I am, but I'm not saying to you, like, you have to believe this way. However, there's a couple of different interpretations of the Song of Solomon. One inter two kind of are mainstream in the world. Now, I'm giving you a little bit of, like, cultural Christianity um, um, in theologians and, and, and great thinkers of past days. Um, so there's two primary uh, beliefs about the Song of Solomon and the, the, the interpretation of it. One of them is that Solomon in this book is a type of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, some people like David was a type of Christ. He reigned. He had this kingdom. He was, um, he, he was a worshipful king. He was one that, that connected heart, God's heart. Um, and so he was a type of Christ. We also look back to, remember Joseph in the book of Genesis? Joseph was a type of Christ. He did the right thing, and then bad things happened to him. He kept doing the right thing, and, he, and, and then he ended up delivering his people, right? Because he was the one in Egypt who, who uh, gave the Pharaoh this understanding of, hey, this is going to be happening. So Joseph was the one that rescued his people. And so 
We see Moses as a type of Christ. He delivered his people from slavery. After Joseph put them in Egypt, then Joseph dies, and then evil takes over, enslaves the Israelites, and then Moses shows up years later and then delivers his people. So some people think, so in the Old Testament, you can say that somebody's a type of Christ, meaning they are not Jesus, but they have something about them that points us to Jesus. Some people believe that uh, one of the, the schools of thought is that Solomon in this book is a type of Christ, and this, this woman that he loves, who's a Shulamite, uh, this woman is the church, and um, therefore it's, it's Solomon pursuing the church. So it's Jesus, it's Jesus Christ uh, pursuing the church. That's one of the schools of thought. And you can read this book with that school of thought, and honestly, it lines up. However, I, ha- I, don't, I don't see it that way myself, uh, mainly because of, of two little verses in the middle of this book in chapter 6. Uh, in chapter 6, um, there's a couple of verses. In, in fact, it's down in verses uh, 8, 8 and 9, I believe, if I remember right, um, which this doesn't really matter to you, but this is the reason that I don't follow that same uh, line. Uh, but those two verses, um, are it's Solomon talking to this, uh, this woman, this Shulamite woman, and he basically says to her, Listen, I got all these women. I got all these wives. And you can be number one in line. Well, that, that's, that's, he meant it as a compliment, but instead he's saying, you can be a part of this group. I just want you to be at the front of the line. Like, that's what he's saying. Now, in that, I don't, I don't think Jesus would ever tell me that I am one of many and that he, I think he chased the, that he left the 99 to chase the one. Like, I think that's what Jesus did. And so I, I don't think that, that Solomon, I'm not, at least this uh, um, survey is not going to be picturing Solomon as the type of Christ. Because, so my, my interpretation of this book, as I've read it numerous times, is that I, I'm of the school of thought of the second kind of um, mainline uh, thinking in the interpretation of this book. And that is that Solomon is a picture of the world and the enemy and the Shulamite woman is a picture of the church, and the, uh, the shepherd in this, in this book is a picture of Jesus. And there's a reason I believe that. So there's, if, you, if you read the book, and you just read the words for what they are, you'll probably walk away and think, what, what is this? This shouldn't be in this book. This is not the right this, this, was, this one slipped into the Bible here. This wasn't supposed to be here. There's some very graphic language in this. There's some very intense scenes in this. Um, and so what happens is we, we read it with the world's mindset. And we, because, I mean, God's name isn't even in this. It isn't even in Song of Solomon. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't speak of God. It speaks of this, this romance. It's a, it's a, it's a romance book right here in the, in the Bible, right in the middle of it. There is this book of romance. Um, and so as we, as we see it, it's kind of this wild story. And again, I, I hope to maybe show you the picture of, of what, I, now, now listen, I don't want to say that we're interpreting it and giving it um, an understanding of why it's in the Bible, right? I'm, I'm not, we're not going through verse by verse here. That's not what we're doing today. <laughs> That's definitely not what we're doing today. Um, and so I, I want to just kind of maybe hopefully show you a picture of why I believe this is in the Bible and, and survey it um, from, this, from this perspective. So there's a lot of parts in this story. There's a lot of pieces in the story. I'm going to kind of tell it as a storyline so that maybe we can hear the voices. I believe there's, a, there's several different voices throughout this, this book. Um, I think that, that you can hear some things, and I'll show you why. And some of the verb tenses change, some of the, um, some of the tones change. And so if the tones change, it's typically either one person going from, I just absolutely love you, to don't talk to me anymore, right? Now, we, I, we all, listen, if you're married, you've, you've lived with somebody like that, right? There's one moment, I always tell my wife she has a phone voice. Right now, her phone. She can be. She can be fussing at me. Now, my wife doesn't fuss at me very much, but she can be fussing at me and be like, "You are dumb." And I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." And her phone rang, and she picked up. Hello, how are you? Oh my goodness, it's so good to talk to you. It's so good to see. I'm so happy that you called me today. Absolutely, I will do anything. That that sounds great. Look forward to seeing you. And she'll hang up and be like, "As I said before, you are out of your mind." Right? Like now. But here's the thing. So even though her tone changed, she talked to different people right? So the, there's some tone changes through this book that give us the understanding that, she's, that, that either the Shulamite woman um, is, is talking to a different person or a different person is speaking in. 
Now, I, I, I'm also of the school of thought that believes that, uh, and this is, this is speculation, okay, but I'm just going to let you in my brain for a minute. Um, I'm in the school of thought that believes that, that Proverbs 31, that, that wonderful proverb of the ideal woman, I believe it's about this Shulamite that Solomon couldn't get. That's what I believe. Now, I, I think that there's something about this, uh, this woman who uh, is, she's, she's a, a little bit of a foreign woman to Solomon. Solomon loved the women. He loved foreign women. Um, he had a, a, an, an asphyxiation, it seemed, on someone that didn't look like him, right? Someone that was of different uh, nationality, different speech, different everything. Um, and so this, this woman in this is, uh, is, is that, that different woman that he couldn't ever seem to get a hold of because in, in our interpretation today, we're going to look at um, how she was longing for her shepherd, that she, uh, her beloved, which was her shepherd, not King Solomon. So uh, we're going to just jump on in and just see where this is, uh, where this is going. So um, I, w- I want to talk about the woman who I believe the woman is the Shulamite woman that, got, that Solomon wants, um, but is, uh, I, I picture her as the church. I think the world is trying to distract us and trying to tempt us and pull us. Uh, I believe that uh, then we're going to look at Solomon as a worldly man who is trying to tempt this woman and then the shepherd in the story. Now in this, you'll hear uh, the, the woman who is speaking, she will speak with the other women in Solomon's court. Okay, so um, there's a lot of, uh, now this, this may be, I don't know what you came in here expecting today for the Song of Solomon, um, but I hope that this will maybe bring to light, if there's a, this one, if, if, you, if you read it with this, with this in mind and this survey in thought, this could be one of the most sacred texts you've ever read. Like it, it really is beautiful. Um, but if we, if we are not careful, we will find ourselves reading it as uh, worldly pleasure, which is how Solomon is, is wired. Solomon is wired for worldly pleasure. We even see in Ecclesiastes, he was, he was longing for the things of the world, the pleasures of the world, and, and things that he couldn't have, he wanted, right? So uh, we're going to read it, hopefully, with the mind of heaven today and see it uh, as, a, as the sacred text that it is, because it made it in the Bible, and God didn't put it in here by accident, so we can learn from it. Um, so the first chapter of the book of Song of Solomon uh, is, uh, some, some of the translations may say the Song of Songs. Um, this is a, uh, it says a song of, because the first verse is a Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Um, so the first couple of verses, what we will find is the story opens up with this woman um, being, really being held hostage, uh, and, and you'll see. So it says, uh, this woman is confessing her love. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. Because in verse, end of verse 4, it says, the king has brought me into his chambers. Now, Again, you're reading this, you think, okay, the, the king is obviously bringing her in, and she is overwhelmed with love for him. Um, but this is a, uh, if we read it with the, with the concept that, that Solomon is not her, her beloved, um, then we will see that this, this kind of changes, and it, the tone will change. Because um, when verse 4, she only wants the one she loves. She's not running after anybody else. She says, let's, let's this, this romantic love, even the way she says in here, um, that let's uh, draw me after you and let us run. Let us run. Running this, this concept, this piece of, this, of mind that says, I want to I run away with you. I just want you. I don't want anybody. I don't want to be, the king has me in his chambers. I want to run away from that. I want to be with you. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to look in the, the next couple of verses, explain a little bit more about who she is. So uh, verse 5 says that I'm, I'm very dark or I'm uh, black skin, but uh, lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Um, this is where she, she's explaining her uh, complexion um, because she is a person that works in the vineyards. Listen to what it says um, as it keeps going. It says, uh, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me and they made me a keeper of the vineyards. So you already start to see now her family. Her mother's sons, that would be her brothers, right, are angry with her. Why are they angry with her? We'll see in just a few minutes. We can start putting pieces of the story together. So she has a family that, has, uh, that her brothers don't like her. Her brothers are mad at her. 
So they force her to work out in the vineyards, which is outside. So the sun is beating down on her. So she's got a darker complexion now. Um, and so they made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Then it says, tell me, you who love my soul, where, are, uh, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? So she's talking about this shepherd, right? She's speaking of a shepherd. And she says, I, like, I want to know where you're, I don't want to be near you. I want to be with you. I don't want to just be in, your, in, in the neighbor to you. I want to, be, I want to be with you. That's what I want in my heart. That's the, what I'm longing for. She is longing for her shepherd in, in verse number seven. And so then what we see is, is verses eight through 10. This is where, again, if we're looking at the, the interpretation uh, from, and, and, I, and I want you to know, like as I said, there's two different schools of thought here. I could explain this both ways. This is just the way that I, I read it and I, I explain it myself. And I explain it from my biblical understanding and, know, and, and knowledge of the Word of God. So in, in verses 8 through 10, Solomon shows up to try to woo her. He tries to woo her in. Um, and listen to what he says even when he's trying to woo her. He says, If you do not know, O most beautiful um, among women, follow the tracks of the flock and the pasture of your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. Then he says, verse 9, he's thinking, this is Solomon, man of all this wisdom. Like, this guy should be smooth, right? He should be smooth. Listen to what he says. I compare you, my love, to a mar among Pharaoh's chariots. A mar is a horse. <laughs> so he says, I compare you to a horse, but one of Pharaoh's horses. Now, if I were to go to my wife today and say, sweetie, you remind me of a big, strong horse. It's probably not going to go well, right? It's probably not going to be some term of endearment. But what Solomon saw, if you think about it, so Solomon, this is where I'm starting to realize, this is why I, my interpretation is Solomon is of the world, the shepherd is of Christ, and the Shulamite is of us. Because Solomon is comparing her to what? Pharaoh's chariots. Solomon had this, had this mind fixed on Egypt. He had, now, if we, if we know the Old Testament much, most of the time in the Old Testament, when it refers to Egypt, it refers to the world, the pleasures of wealth, the pleasures of power. So now what Solomon was doing was saying to this woman, you remind me of the most powerful of Pharaoh's weapons. Why? Because she was a strong woman. She worked in the fields. She was not this like real dainty person. She was a strong vineyard worker who had been out in the blazing sun. So when he looks at her, he sees this powerful woman and he compares her. He's like the most powerful uh, uh, military in the world, Egypt, Pharaoh with his powerful armies. You remind me of one of those horses. <laughs> She's like, I don't know how this is winning for him exactly. Then he says in verse 10, and here's why I think another thing about Egypt and him being worldly. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Now, he's not talking about her physical complexion or her physical body. He's talking about the ornaments that are in front of it. So typically, whenever a woman of this uh, uh, lineage, of a Shulamite woman, would have braids in her hair, okay? And her braids would come down across her face, and what they would do a lot of times is whoever um, kind of owned her or whoever was in charge of her uh, would have the, the, the option to put um, uh, like very uh, ornate uh, coins or shiny trinkets or jewelry in those braids. So what he's saying is, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. So he, it's, and now he's the, he's the one that's kind of captured her, right? He's the one that's, she's in his chamber. She's not in, she, he's, he's put these, these ornaments in her hair that come across down her cheek. And he's saying, he's not saying, I love your cheeks. He's saying, I love what I've done with your face. I, I've, I, so he's saying, I've loved myself and what I have produced in you, what I have made you to be. Because if she shouldn't need the ornaments in, on her face, right? She shouldn't need that. Instead, he says, this, and he says, your neck with strings of jewels. This is where I read a commentary, a commentary about this uh, particular verse. And um, I can't remember which one it was because I read like a dozen on this. Uh, one of them said that um, if, we, if we choose the, the picture of the woman, the Shulamite, as the church, then what is the church in the New Testament? It says the church is the body of Christ. And what connects the body to the head? Jesus is, our, is the head, right? And so it says, what connects? The neck connects it. The neck connects the, the head to the body. And said, so the neck should be something. And what Solomon does here is he says, I, I, I want to put jewelry on your neck 
because I want your neck to be beautiful. And he says, I want to, um, uh, to add something to this. Now, the truth is that the neck should be just strengthened for the head. It should be its whole purpose. It should be to point to the head, right? Nobody, nobody's coming. It should be that. But Solomon says, I want to ad- dress you up so that I see the dressing on you, not so that it points me to your head, but so that I can see something else on you that I want to look at. And so just kind of a, another picture of maybe Solomon saying, I really like the stuff. I like you. And I want you to wear my stuff. That's what I want. Um, and so then it goes, uh, then, then it kind of shifts a little bit in verse number 11. Uh, verse number 11, uh, it says, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Now, depending on the translation you use, this is talking about a crown that he wants to put on her head. And these are the people of Solomon saying, we're going we're gonna to put a crown on your head. And that crown is going to be made of gold, which uh, it's, it says two different um, uh, types. It says gold and silver. Gold in the Old Testament always represented power. It represented this power and authority or sovereignty, this, this power that was um, uh, displayed. Silver always meant salvation. So here's what Solomon said. I want to put a crown on you of power and salvation. That's what Solomon says. I want this for you. Now, again, you can, you can almost see how this could lean toward, well, Solomon's a type of Christ because he wants to crown her with power and authority and, and with salvation. But if you look at it, he's trying to tempt her to bring her in and, and make this happen. So here's what happens next. Then, then this becomes a romance that a movie should be made of. Like this, this I wish the Song of Song was a movie, um, maybe just without the graphic scenes. But here's why. Because... After this moment where he is trying to woo her into, his, into loving him, she, he's trying to say, I will, address, I, will, I will dress you up as fancy as you want to dress up. I will give you a crown. It will, it will be power. It will be uh, saved from your work in your vineyards. He's trying to bring her out of that, right? He's trying to put her in his, in his household. Um, and then he leaves. It says, while the king was on his couch. So the, the king leaves the story. So Solomon leaves. He's not there anymore. Um, and when he leaves, uh, I, I think that Solomon, we know Solomon, whenever it came to women, was very um, aggressive. He was very, uh, thought he was smooth. So here's what Solomon does. He says, listen, I love the ornaments in front of your cheeks. I love the, the, the I want to put jewelry on your neck. I want to put a crown on you of gold and silver. And then he, then he does, then he does the, 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 smooth, the smooth guy move. He's like, I'll let her think about that. I'll now put some distance between us so she can just now dream about me because of what all I can do for her, what all I can give her. <laughs> so she, now, now what happens? It says, my nard gave forth its fragrance, or my spiked nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. So here's where she, um, I think what happens here is the scene changes. So the, the king, Solomon is gone, and then the shepherd shows up. And the shepherd is there, and he is with her. She's speaking of, um, she, she smells his scent. You know, there, there's a strong thing about scent, perfume or cologne or uh, a, a different person's scent. You can, I can know when my wife walks in the room because she has a smell, and it's this like, beautiful, incredible smell. And it, it, it reminds me of her. My, my kids say, um, I, have a, uh, I, I use this, this soap that is a, um, a very, it's, a, it's not a real fragrant soap, but it's a clean soap. And so I use this soap whenever I, I, I get cleaned up. And sometimes my, my, my daughter will go to uh, smell candles in a store or something. And she'll pick up a candle, and she, it'll be just like a fresh scent or whatever. She'll smell it, she'll be like, mm, that smells like Dad. <laughs> and I'm like... That's weird that you think a candle smells like me. But fragrance has a, has a, a, a memory piece in it, right? We talked about, whenever we talked about Proverbs, um, hooks of wisdom, right? Your, your mind has all these loops and there's hooks that connect. Uh, fragrance is one of those, those big hooks that will connect to your brain. When you smell something, it'll remind you of something, right? I, I, I'll tell you, anytime I walk into the nastiest place ever, I, anytime I go to the dump, I think of the locker rooms I used to grow up in, right? That's what I think about. It's like, it just takes me back immediately. If I, if I can smell a lot of body odor somewhere, I think about those locker room moments. And what will happen is a scent will give you this, um, this, this memory and this thought and this connection. So she, this woman, smells this scent of her, 
of her, uh, her beloved or her shepherd. And she even talks about how she's got this thing. She wears a necklace around her neck with this vial in it of myrrh that has this, this very expensive perfume in it. Um, now, I do want to mention, so spikenard is a type of, of comes from a plant. That plant it makes into a perfume. And myrrh also comes from a plant, makes a, another uh, uh, fragrance. And these two fragrances, interesting that she, um, that she uses these two fragrances in her conversation about her shepherd, because here's what these two fragrances do. They use them in Bible times. They use these two fragrances for death and for burial. Okay, now we're see- okay, I'm seeing something now, right? We're getting somewhere. So what she says is, my beloved, I know him because of this fragrance that we use for death and burial. Why do we know our beloved? I'll tell you why I know my beloved, because my beloved died for me. And my beloved, I, I, go, I can go to the cross all day long, and I can tell you, this is what my beloved did for me. He died for me. He was buried for me. Now, I also know my, my shepherd's too strong to stay in the grave. Anyway, I'm not going to preach that too far. Here we go. And keep, she keeps going. And she says, uh, my beloved is, a, it come, is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in a vineyard of En Gedi. Now, I want to tell you something about this. This is very poetic and very beautiful. The, the place of En Gedi, right outside the Dead Sea. Very desolate place. Very wilderness desolate. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know around the Dead Sea is just like brown. Like everything's brown. There's, no, there's nothing pretty around there. But there was one spring in En Gedi that flowed down this mountainside and it created this weird, it's so weird in, in this place of desolate, in this place of like this desolate barren land, there was one spring that rolled down this mountain that was, uh, that it, it created on the side of this hill these blossom trees. And so it's, if you ever go there, it's the weirdest thing because it's like, this should not be here. This is, this is unique and different and it shouldn't show up here. So what she's saying is my beloved is to me like in the most unexpected places. He's this place of life, this place of beauty, this place of, of wonderful growth. And so then uh, listen to what happens. So he starts talking to her. So she says to this shepherd, you know, your, 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 your scent is, brings me those remembrance. You are like this, this wonderful place of oasis for me. So then he says uh, in verses, 14, uh, verses uh, 15 through 17, or 15, he, he says to her, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Now, the word dove gives an, an understanding. I know you're saying, we weren't going to do this verse by verse. We're not. I just need to set it up. Um, and so he says, when I look at you, it makes me think of peace. That's what, that's what the beloved says to her. When I look at you, I think about peace. Now, that's not the way Solomon was talking to her, right? Solomon speaking to her in, earlier in, in the chapter. He says, when I look at you, I see the ornaments adorned on your cheeks. I see this around you. Instead, he, this, this shepherd, this, this beloved says, when I look at you, I think about these doves, this, this sense of peace. Um, then I think about in the New Testament, whenever Jesus says, I'm going to send you a comforter, right? Because Jesus says, I want you to be a people of peace. I want you to be a people that love and care and have no anxiety, no worry. How many times did Jesus say, don't worry? I'm I'm pretty sure it was a bunch. I mean, he he constantly was saying, be at peace. Be one. How are you one? Because you're at peace with one another. This uh, shepherd says, when I look at you, I think of peace. Then listen to what she says. Oh, this is so good. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am the rose of Sharon, a lily of valleys, in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what she says. He says, I look at you and I see peace. And she says, I look at you and I see paradise. I see these green pastures. I see a strong built house. I see protection and, and paradise in you. So already now, we, if, we, if we're looking at this like a movie scene, Right? We see this woman who is kind of uh, held captive in, this, in this, uh, the chambers of this king. We see her just kind of longing for her shepherd, her, the one that she loves that she doesn't have. And then we see Solomon come in, smooth talk his way into a deeper hole. He's like, you remind me of a, of a big, strong horse, and I would love to put more ornaments on you. Like, she's like, I'm not a, what are you talking about? I'm not a Christmas tree man. Like, I, I have, I'm a person, you know. So then he thinks, I'm going I'm to adorn you with all this silver and all these riches. 
He walks away, and then she turns, and as she's in these chambers of the king, you can almost see this shepherd coming up and, like, speaking from the balcony, right? From the bottom where she's outside, like, she's, she's in these caged walls, or she's in this, this place where this shepherd then says, I, I love you. She smells him first, right? That's what happened. He's, he's come up. She can't see him. She's probably behind this, like, you know, rail window or whatever, and so she just smells his fragrance, thinks that smells like my my shepherd out there that smells like my beloved and he starts speaking to her and he says when I think about you I think about peace and she says when I think about you I think about paradise and so the we this scene is taking place and then it gets very awesome she says I am a rose of Sharon a lily of the valleys saying I am this person that is not uh, I don't have much to offer I just don't have much to offer. And he says, as a lily among the brambles, so is my love with the young, among young women. He says, listen, as a, as a you, you have this wonderful, beautiful um, uh, peace to you and this wonderful things to you. When a shepherd sees her, she, he says, you're a lily among the brambles, meaning I see all these bramble bushes, right? The thorns and thickets. And he says, you're this lily that's within it all that is, is pure, so he, he first sees in her that she is, um, uh, she, he sees peace, then she sees this paradise in him, and then, then the next P word I'll say is she, he sees in her this purity, this lily among all these brambles around her. She's pure. You know, if I think about the church, when Jesus, when, when I get to heaven and God sees me, he's not seeing the old Anthony that died, he's seeing the purity of the righteousness of Christ. Among all, in, and, and, and even Paul tells us in his, in his letters, in all this world, this crooked, perverse generation, like, we're supposed to stand out like stars. We're supposed to stand out like lights in darkness, purity in impurity. Um, he, he then uh, begins to speak to her, in, or she speaks back about him in verse number three through six, um, how she views her, her shepherd, her, her beloved. Um, and so I'm not going to read those verses, but it's, it's down through uh, chapter, verse number six. She speaks of how she loves him and how she views him and how her, uh, her whole body, her whole being is enthralled with him. She can, she can, when, when she tastes of him, it's sweet and it's good. What, what is it the Lord says uh, to come and taste and see that the Lord is good? That's what scripture says a lot. I mean, there's just some good stuff in there for the church to know. Um, it, it, it goes on. Then, then verse number seven, there's a little bit of a change in the text um, because she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. So now here's what's happened now. She is, she's changed and she's now talking to the other women that are Solomon's women that are in this court. So she speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem. So these people here in this, uh, by the gazelles or those, uh, or the, the uh, does of your field uh, that you don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She's saying, listen, you, you need to understand. Um, she's, she's now, I don't know if at this point in my mind, okay, if I read it like a, like a movie in my mind, the, the shepherd has now gone away after she's spoken words to him. And then she turns back in to the women that are around. And she's like, listen, I need to tell you something. When you are in love, you chase it down. Don't let anything stand in your way. You need, to, you, need to, you need to know who you love. So what we've seen now is uh, the first temptation um, to take her away from her beloved, if we're, if we're looking at it through this interpretation. Um, in the first chapter, Solomon tries to woo her. Solomon tries to woo her away from her beloved because he says to her, I'll give you all this. I'll give you riches. I will, I will adorn you with, with power, with prestige. I will give you... It kind of sounds like when Satan tempted Jesus, right? And he's like, I'll give you everything your eye can see, Jesus, if you just do this for me, right? Solomon's come in, tried to tempt her. She said, no, you're not anything like my beloved. Then, then after that first temptation fails, what happens next? What happens next is the women of the court... So those who have given their hearts to Solomon, and we can interpret it this way, those who have given their hearts to the world, guess what? They're not for you either. They try to pull you in as well. After the tempter himself comes in and tries to tempt you and you don't fall for it, then there are a lot of influences the tempter has. So these women come in and they say, listen, you don't want this shepherd guy. You could have this king 
You could have this great person in here that would change your life to ever, uh, to forever. Um, and then we see in verses uh, 8 and, and following, um, this is the, the shepherd um, speaking of, uh, she speaks of how um, her shepherd has come to her and he comes to her with joy and excitement. Then we see uh, her shepherd calls to her and how he does so. What she's doing is she's testifying to these women in this court. She's saying, listen, I, I, let me tell you about how my shepherd, how, how, how he comes to me. He shows up no matter where I'm at. If I'm in a bad spot, if I'm locked up, guess what? He's there. I can smell him. He's right there. He's, he's relentless whenever he comes to me. He shows up all the time. He calls out to me. This whole uh, section down to, the, down to chapter 3, he, it's about how he comes to her, how he calls out to her. He calls with love and care. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't holler at her like she's some, uh, uh, just any, she's, not, she's not just anybody to this guy, right? She is the big deal. So he says to her, I, I love you. I'm going to call out with delicate love, with care. And she gives it through very um, uh, in, intense language. <laughs> um, but through that intense language, um, she's finally uh, speaking of, and, and she even t- talks in chapter 2 about what the obstacles that have stood in their way. This is a love story. Now we're like, there's obstacles, right? There's things keeping you from being together. She says, first off, my family is an obstacle. My brothers hated him because they, they hated me. And so uh, we'll see that in a couple of, couple of chapters, uh, but we're going to refer back to it again, part of the survey here. Um, we can refer back to her, her brothers hate him uh, and hate her for it. They're against it. Society is against it. You'll see that the watchman that's, that's in, the, in the city is trying to keep it from happening. You'll also see that uh, her situation made it impossible. She couldn't just walk out and go and be with him. She was stuck here in this, in this, in this captivity. She couldn't just go. Be, so she's got all these things against him. There's all these obstacles in her way of this relationship. And then chapter 3, we hear about this dream. Um, and uh, she would do absolutely anything to be with him. Uh, she would search until he saw, she saw him. She would hold him and not let him go. Uh, we, we find she seeks the one she loves. She sought him but didn't find him. So what does she do? She arose and go about the city and the streets and the squares. She's seeking him. She loves him. She's running after him. She would not give up until she finds him. Yes, there's obstacles. Yes, absolutely there's obstacles. But the shepherd is worth all of those obstacles. Um, so no matter what happens, she is willing to go and find this shepherd. Then we see uh, verse number 6 through the end of, of chapter 3. Um, is Solomon uh, showing up. So he's been out of the country, he's been out of the picture, but now he comes back to Jerusalem and um, uh, with this Shulamite, virtually his prisoner, uh, if, you just, if you read it in this interpretation. And um, we hear in these, in these verses four different voices. Uh, we hear, four, I believe, four different speakers. The first speaker is in, chapter, in verse number six, um, and he's basically saying, this guy... It says, um, um, what, what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? She, he, this first speaker is saying, this is the, the, the King Solomon coming with all of these passions, myrrh and frankincense, frankincense being one of those uh, very in, intense, um, expensive things. Uh, but it says that all the fragrant powders of a merchant being this is a person that has all of this this pomp about him, all this power and passions about him. That's who this is. Then we hear another speaker saying, behold, it's the litter of Solomon around its 60 mighty men. He talks about the power that he possesses. Then this third speaker in verses 9 and 10, um, talking about how he's made this a carriage of wood and he's made posts of silver and um, it's back of gold and sit purple. These, these riches, says, this guy's wealthy. He's got it all. Then we hear this uh, last verse number 11, this, this speaker talks about this position of power. It says, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. This, this power and this, this position of this king. Solomon comes back into Jerusalem with this, uh, all of these, this parade, right? This, this overwhelming sense of everybody coming in and bringing in just this awesome thing. So, and now um, they, they go back to this. Now, there's a lot of 
Uh, in my Bible, so there's, there's several different Bibles. I want, this is where I want to address something. There's a lot of different um, Bibles out there, right? There's all these translations of the Bibles. There's all these different uh, layouts of the Bibles. I like to, when I do a survey of the Bible, I like to, uh, to go and read it without the, um, the subtitles. Because the subtitles were not, it's, it's, that's the translator put the subtitles in to kind of give you a little bit of understanding. So I believe that this is one of those places where the subtitle in this Bible is not necessary. It's, it's of, the, of the interpretation that Solomon is the picture of the Christ. So, um, but as I read it, as I look through it, survey-wise, without any subtitles, but with just straight text. I've got a straight text Bible that has no, like, and you know what I'm talking about, the little bold heading, right, over the little sections. So if you read it, I believe this is where this shepherd, again, uh, is 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 found a way to be with her once again. It says, Behold, you're beautiful, my love. You're beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind the veil. Uh, your hair is like flocks of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Obviously, this is, I read this to my wife and we just start kissing. You know what I mean? Like you, you are, your hair is like a flock of goats. Like I, she just gets so, it just really works for her. You know, she just really gets excited. But as we, as we think about it, this is a, um, uh, this is how he is seeing her so the shepherd and her, are, he talks about the beauty that she has both inside and out. And the way he even explains it is just this beautiful um, uh, picture of who she is. And the reason I think this is the shepherd's words is because the way Solomon speaks to her is trying to gain something. The way the shepherd speaks to her is trying to give something. He's trying to say, I, I love you. Solomon's saying, I want you. The shepherd says, I love you. Solomon says, I want you. Why does Solomon want her? Well, Solomon, was, we, we know the person of Solomon. He wanted what he couldn't have. We know the heart of a shepherd in the scripture. He is to care and love and give to sheep. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd doesn't try to get anything from the sheep. A shepherd loves sheep. He's trying to care for the sheep. It's why all the places in scripture say whenever you, you bring a hireling in, they don't care for the sheep the way a shepherd does, right? A hireling is just trying to get something out of it. They're trying to get paid. A shepherd is caring for the sheep. So if you read chapter 4, it's a lot of that just beautiful pictures of, my, uh, of this uh, heart of how beautiful this person is and how wonderful they are and how much they love them. Um, and then uh, in chapter 5, I think this is where uh, that Solomon shows back up and he speaks to her. Um, the women of Solomon's court shows up and they begin to kind of talk to her, uh, trying to make another uh, comment. In fact, they're trying to talk about the... Um, the, the beloved that she has, trying to say things about him. But listen to what she says um, down in chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 2. Um, she, she begins to explain her shepherd. And listen, to, she does it in two ways that are pretty awesome, I think. And as I read it, um, as a book of, of Scripture, not as a book of um, sexuality, because there's a lot of times we read this book and all we see is, is the physical intimacy portion. But if we look at this as a, a book of um, pointing us to who God is, then we see two things she does. In the first few uh, verses here, she says that her shepherd came knocking, but she didn't answer it. Why? It says in here, the, uh, verses 2, 3, 4, it says she, she didn't answer it because she was too lazy to get up and change. It says she was lazy, she didn't answer the door. Then once she realized that it was her, that was her beloved, she then makes haste. She gets all of it together thinking, I, I don't want to miss out on time with my beloved. I don't want to miss out on being with him. And so it says he came and knocked on the door. She didn't answer it. She was too lazy. She came to her senses, realized, and then went after him, only to fall into the hands of the who? The watchman in the city. And so she fell into his hands. And, um, I, I, you know, one of the things to note is I, I think that it's interesting how Scripture, scripture is so good. The whole, the whole book, all of it is good. But one of the things that I, I, I see time and time again are themes in the Bible. When you do a survey that's a real far back look, you begin to see things that line up that you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, the shepherd knocked on the door but didn't force his way in. Well, did you know there's another time where it talks about someone's going to knock on the door, but not force his way in. It's our, it, we, we got to open the door. He's not going to force himself upon us. He never did. If you see, Solomon would show up and go right into her room and start wooing her. That's what Solomon would start doing. 
This, this, this shepherd, though, he waited until she could smell his perfume the first time. He could smell his, his fragrance the first time. And then she heard his voice, so she began to talk to him knowing his voice. Then she, he comes and knocks, but doesn't force his way in. And he, she, she, once she realizes that, like, oh, no, I don't want to miss this time with him, she goes out, and then the, the, the watchman's out there, and the watchman is, is, uh, insulted her. He, he insulted her, which is just awful. The watchman is another enemy of the, the story here. There's another obstacle in the middle of all this. And then the second part, she describes her beloved to these worldly women from verses 10 to verse 16. Um, I, this is a powerful awesome way to be described. So the, the, whenever you see the first part of this, the, as she is explaining to these women again, she's going in and saying, listen, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. He is distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. He had black hair, long black you know, hair, a lot like like me. I tell my wife, I'm like, you skip that verse. But the other ones are all, you know, eyes are like dove beside streams of water, uh, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. Like she's, she's explaining him to these women. Now I've never been in, in, in girl talk. Okay. I've never been around that. I've asked my wife before about this, this kind of stuff. I'm like, whenever she's talking with these other girls, is this what you girls do? It's like, it's like, what do you say about me? You know, that's like I'm trying to get, and she's like, oh yeah, we talk about all of our, our husbands. You know, when all of us ladies get together, we talk about our husbands. I was like, do you like talk about like which husband's the best or, you know, how am I ranking? She's like, we talk about how big of idiots y'all are. That's what we do. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, she, and, and so this, this woman, but here's what I realized. So even in that kind of funny statement that, you know, I hope she doesn't really talk about how big of an idiot I am, but uh, even in that funny statement, this, this woman is talking to women of the world. So if we're taking this, this interpretation, she's saying to these women that are of the world, that are of Solomon's household and all of his wives and whatever, and she's telling, she takes the opportunity to talk about how great this shepherd is. As the church should be telling the world how great our shepherd is, how great our beloved is. She gives this explanation of him and, and, and explains it's this beautiful, beautiful piece. I, I love those, those verses. Then if you go over to chapter number 6, it continues on. Solomon appears again. He realizes, I have made no headway with this woman. <laughs> she, is, she is still in love with this other guy. So he shows back up to her. And uh, in verses, uh, in this whole section, I mean, you, you look through this. And uh, from verse 4, um, he, he shows back up. And through these next couple of uh, even chapters, uh, through in, into chapter 7, um, he's like, man, I've made no, no headway with her. So what does he do now? So now he is running his eyes up and down her, and he's just saying what he's thinking. And Solomon was a smart guy, okay? He's a smart guy. He starts talking about, he starts describing her, he starts describing her beauty, everything he thinks about her. I'll let you all read that one on your own. Um, and then uh, her answer to Solomon is found in chapter 7, down in verse number 10, um, and she says this, one of the most beautiful, beautiful places in all the scripture, in chapter 7, verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Saying, listen, I'm not, you can't woo me. You can't, you can't seduce me by all of your articulate language. All the ways you speak to me, you cannot take me away from my beloved's. And now, at this point, Solomon has nothing left to say. So, what happens now? As she goes on, she is talking about her beloved over and over and over again and how he is so great and so incredible and the way it wraps up in chapter 8 she returns home to her family her strength in the face of all those temptations wins over her brothers you can read that in chapter 8 she is uh, she wins over her family back and um, uh, who once hated that shepherd by the way didn't 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 like him because of her um, and then if you look how this book ends so I know this wasn't uh, exactly the way you thought the Song of Solomon was going to be explained today, but if you look at how this ends, I, I want to just show you something. So in, in chapter 8, verse number 13, he says to her, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening to your voice, let me hear it. You know what he says to her? In this, this verse is the shepherd telling the woman, you listen to a lot of people. Don't forget to listen to me. 
be sure you're listening to me too. I just want you to hear my voice. You know, the, the Bible says that a, a sheep know their shepherd by his voice, right? He's telling her, he says, listen, you, you, you dwell in all these gardens with all these companions listening for your voice, but let me hear your voice. Let me hear you. Listen to me. I want you to hear me. Then how she responds. So that was the shepherd. Now how she responds. Listen to how she responds. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. You know what she says? Come quickly. Come to me quickly. How many times have I heard pastors and preachers say, come quickly, Lord Jesus? <laughs> Do you know what the church is longing for today? We're longing for the Lord to come back. We're longing for him to come back quickly. From the mountains up high, away from where we are, don't, don't be gone too long. He's, he's the good shepherd. He's the one that loves us and cares for us. Now, as you read through this, um, you know, these last two statements are just such a cool picture. This is one of, again, the reasons that I have this, this interpretation of this book, because I think that there's so much that points to how, how we are the church that we're, that, that we're lowly, right? She talks about how she was lowly, and he says, oh, no, 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 you're, you're pure, and I love you, and I'm going to come and show up, and I'm going to be there for you. I want to take you with me home. I want to take you home. And in, in these last few, few words, he says to her, just listen to my voice. And she says, don't be gone long. There's something beautiful about the church and our Savior and our shepherd and how we are longing for him. When I, when I look through this book, I see how much her, she yearns for this beloved. She, is, she wants so badly to be in his presence. Like you realize, anytime she's away from him, she's talking about him. Anytime she, she is uh, directed to be tempted into the world, she just points back to her, her beloved. She points back to this one she loves. If there's something we can learn from this book today, it's no matter where you are or what you're doing, point to the one that you love if you're not with him. And then when he's here, be, be totally infatuated. She is, when she's with him, those moments she's with him, she's just like, this is the greatest thing ever. There's nothing greater in life. Yes, there were obstacles that stood in our way. Yes, there were problems that came up. Yes, there were issue upon issue upon issue. But it was still worth it in the end to be with my shepherd that I love. I am so thankful that the Song of Solomon is in the book. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about in that book that um, are not as uh, PG-rated. And so I will let you go and read and discover those on your own. Uh, I encourage you to be a Berean of the Bible and of the Word, um, beginning in... Uh, uh, well, I'm not even going to say that. So um, next week, if you come back next week, and we are jumping into some prophets so I hope you enjoyed um, so far the uh, wisdom books and the poetry books of the Old Testament. Next week, we are jumping into the wonderful work of the prophet Isaiah. So uh, thank you.